Well, welcome back to the Awesome Boom Podcast, and thank you once again for tuning in. This is your host, Mr. Awesome Boone, and today we've got a very interesting conversation with a very good friend of mine, Fabian. We have had Fabian on the show a couple of times over the past sort of 18 months following his journey as he's sort of dealt with grief and going through this sort of deep transformation, this deep personal transformation and exploration into who he is, what he is, why he is. And to continue this sort of deeper journey that we've sort of been exploring together over the last sort of year. And uh, it follows very much on to a lot of the conversations that I have with a lot of guests. And it is about really trying to deeply explore who we are, what we are, why we are, what we're doing, what, what, what keeps us trapped in life, what stops us ultimately from becoming the very, very best versions of ourselves, which, come on, let's be honest, we all want to be the best version of ourselves, I would argue, because, I mean, you know, we're down here on this planet, you know, it's pretty cool at times, it can be very challenging also at times, and there are definitely things, there are definitely themes, there's definitely blockages that as human beings we create. And when we create these blockages or we create these limiting belief systems or behaviors or rules that we have to live by, they very often keep us very trapped and stuck, thus building to frustration and just depression and anxiety like I found in my life. And the way I cope with that was with booze and drugs and other things just to sort of try and help me get through my day-to-day bullshitty existence as far as I was concerned. So I really, really value Fabian for going on this deep journey, really sort of going incredibly deep um, into who he is, what he is, why he is, into his past, the trauma, his childhood, all this sort of jazz. And uh, in this podcast, he goes into really deep detail on how that journey has been. And I think it's uh, I think it's a very inspiring story and I think it will inspire a lot of you to explore um, and heal your wounds and just oddities that we collect through life that ultimately can have a huge deep impact on our happiness and where we where we get to in life and you know do we live a rich and fulfilling life or, or are we sort of just living life you know, probably not even getting to 30% of our, our potential. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. Um, I'm literally just getting ready to uh, fly off to Italy for our, our big 10-day deep transformational healing retreat. And uh, this is the first one in a year because obviously COVID has created a little bit of chaos in all of our lives. So the one in April was cancelled. Um, But if you are interested in exploring a deeper healing journey with myself or with the team on a healing retreat, then please do just drop me an email. It's awesome at awesomeboon.com, super easy. Or contact me through Instagram. I'm on there every single day posting all sorts of stuff to try and keep you guys entertained and to try and spark some uh, new thoughts in in your head. Um, But I'm going to stop rattling on because I have a terrible habit of literally just ranting on about absolute rubbish probably and uh, before I know it 10 minutes are gone and uh, you guys are probably sort of detuned and switched me off so without further ado I introduce you guys to Fabian yeah that was right wasn't it mm. um, god 18 months 
flies by, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, but that so is time in general. So your conversation. My, my, is time? my niece turns 18 next week, and I remember visiting her in hospital the day after she was born, and she was this, you know, she was that big. And in 10 days, she's turning 18. You just think, what? Oh, it's crazy. I was um, <coughs> I bumped into an ex-girlfriend a few weeks back, and then she put up a photo of her niece who was turning eighteen. I was like, the last time I saw her, she was a she was a baby, mm. and you're like eighteen years is yeah gone in a flash. It's gone in a flash, <laughs> which is quite crazy, really. It's. It and it gets worse the older you get. It goes faster. Yeah, I th- this, for me, this year this year's gone by pretty quick. Mm. Even with this lockdown nonsense. Yes, it's it's this year has been, it, this year's a head scratcher. There's not much more you can say about 2020. It says it's the world's gone mad. <laughs> is is one way of of looking at it? I think. Yeah, we can we can we can maybe go into that's yeah. <laughs> twenty twenty is a separate. <laughs> it's a separate a separate thing. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, Fabian, welcome back to the Awesome Boom podcast, my friend. Um, Thank it's you. It's a real, real pleasure to have you here. And as we were just saying before we were recording, it was about 18 months Yeah. since your last your last podcast with us, where mm. we went into, into grief and coping and dealing with grief. Yeah. And since then, we've um, we spent quite a lot of time together furthering mm. that journey and... Uh, going deeper into the work yeah so and I think that's what we're going to sort of have a conversation about and knowing our podcast will probably divert off into other areas and stuff um, but yeah man welcome welcome back to the podcast Thank you. It's, a, it's, a, it's a real pleasure and uh, we're here at a, a wet and windy <laughs> Sunday London um, but and yeah, October, beginning of mm. October 2020. I, w- I don't think. Okay, you literally you're the second podcast I've done since lockdown started. Mm. The first one was with Pen Chan a few weeks ago. But yeah, this year's just been really crackers, really, hasn't it? Just w- what's been going on. And I on remember, so many levels. I remember like so many ja- January just going to myself yeah. and lots of people I know. Do you know what? 2020 is going to be this really amazing year. It's going to be really positive. And then we get overtaken by this virus. And as you, as you said again, the world has gone a bit mad. Mm. And we're living in this crazy time of uncertainty and... <sighs> There's lots going on. There's lots. There seems to be a lot of pressure and a lot of changes, and it's thrown a lot of people out of their comfort zones. Yes. And I think a lot of us have found it challenging. I found it challenging. I know you found it challenging at times. Mm. So, 
what, what do you think? Has it been about eight months of lockdown? We lockdown announcement was twenty third of March. That's right. So March, April, April, May, May, June, June, July, July, August. We're in. This will be month seven. Month seven. So yeah, it's uh, yeah, quickie. It's a long, long time. Too it's a long. long time. Yeah, far too long. Far too long. So, how's it been for you? What have you? What have you? What have you been going through? It's you know you mentioned doing work together with you. For me, it's been a real deep dive into into old trauma I think you sometimes you don't look at things until you stop until life forces you to go right okay I need to now you have to take the opportunity to do the work when you get given it um, so lockdown has been lockdown has been very yin and yang um, I'm lucky in that my girlfriend and I, we finished our move in together, I think 10 days before lockdown started or two weeks beforehand. And if we hadn't done it then, would it have happened? Don't know. And then a week into lockdown, we got our kitten. So we've had, it's been that real yin and yang of on the one hand, this insane little creature in the house that makes you laugh and whatever. But on the other hand, being deep in work, yeah, I think um, <clears throat> I think what you sort of said earlier, where you know, quite often we need to we need to really sort of slow down mm. to be able to to do work on ourselves, that self improvement, that self healing, because like society is, it's so geared up to other other things. For, forcing you to sort of mm. really sort of focus on other areas of your life, yeah, you know, work and all of this sort of stuff and relationships, and you know, actually, how many of us really do get any real time to ourselves to start asking ourselves those questions and mm. to ponder, to wonder, to explore? And I think, I think you're you're right. I think lockdown has given people at least that time to. It's, it's given people the opportunity, but as you and I have talked about before, how many people actually do the work? You have it's a it's a choice, isn't it? You well, can know you so, can yeah. know you can know you've got an issue, but you can choose to not address it. Doing the work is always a choice, and I know I'm I'm sure you do as well. I know people who lockdown hasn't made them stop and stop and think they're just kind of getting on with it it's a choice you get shown you get you know you get shown a door essentially but you have to choose to open it and do the work so for you what do you what do you think it was for you that propelled you compelled you to do exactly that because in mean, lockdown you know you could have just sort of sat just yeah. working out at home, hmm. just chilling, Netflixing it, eating loads of food. I think for me, I think for me, it was a case of, as you know, from our conversations beforehand, I've been doing work for years. So 
all that lockdown was in a in a very real sense was turning up the intensity of the work because the time was there I've had I've, I've, I'm not going to say I've had to do because I've chosen to do it but I've done a huge amount of work in the last sort of what I started in 2003 so 17 years ago um, I chose to start doing the work and as I say lockdown just gave the choice to turn the heat up or not and I've chosen to you know for want of a better expression turn the heat up and use the time to go okay there is some stuff that still needs to be worked through and processed and it was a real case of knowing people in my life who have chosen not to do the work and to see firsthand what it means to choose not to do the work because there's a consequence to that choice as well yeah I mean just, you know, just you, on a personal note you know that, that's what I did I was aware of a lot of my shit when I was in my early 20s but I didn't know how to mm. deal with it and I was too scared to deal with it so that's why I just continued to drink and take drugs and stick my head in the sand um, and then into the point where actually life got so painful for me I couldn't I couldn't you know sticking my head in the sand was no longer working mm. in other words you hit in other words you hit rock bottom yeah um and I think that's that's a very big key because then it's you know in my case it's a case of it was a case of if I don't change and if I don't do this then I won't be here in five years something something has to when you hit rock bottom something changes well we've discussed this over quite a few times how you know for both you and I actually get into what we call rock bottom mm. that sort of absolute point of despair yes it is well for me it was it was much needed to be that pain point that pressure point to give me that punch around the face to go you know I think it, it's it's one of those expressions you hear people say oh I've hit rock bottom and you just kind of go really do you do you actually know what that means there's you know it's like there, there, there are terms that are overused trauma is an overused term depression is an overused term you know you hear people say oh I've hit rock bottom and just kind of no <laughs> sorry no um, but yes that confronts you with essentially for me the final choice okay if I don't do this then what and how would you describe hitting rock bottom what, what it was for you so for me rock bottom is for me rock bottom was the absolute collapse of everything you've ever been raised to believe in or told to believe in so um mum and dad love you and home is the same safe place okay well two concussions before the age of 10 um speaks to that being a lie so you learn that that's a lie before the age of 10. then school is a safe place 
number two that kids are taught to believe in. You get bullied to high heaven in school to the point, again, of having physical scars from what you've gone through both at home and in school. So school is not a safe place, lie number three. Not lie number three, but pillar number three, gone. Then, um, you know, next pillar, um, you know, if you go and study and if you follow your dad's career choice, then life will be fine. Well, actually, no, it won't. Academia, you find out through doing research, you find out that academia is not what it pretends to be either. So in my case, um, I was studying history and was writing a dissertation about the Berlin Wall. Sorry, and about reunification in Germany. So you find a document in archives that counteracts everything your textbook says. You ask the official in an interview who wrote it face to face. You've got the document with you with his signature on it in the interview for oral research and he lies to your face. And then the academic panel that you're working with won't let you write what you want to write because it counteracts conventional history by saying that actually the Cold War kind of was both sides fault, not just one side's fault. So then that pillar's gone. And then the last pillar, in my case, was love. Because you've held on to the idea that being in a romantic relationship is going to be with someone, to quote a famous author, and I forget who it is, find a lover who looks at you a little bit like your magic. So you find out that love is not magic and that sex is not connection you find out that love is manipulation and sex is manipulation and sex is about power rather than a physical manifestation of love. And essentially every belief system that you've ever had and that you've been told to believe in and that you've tried to believe in your whole life is gone. Um, and then from a health perspective, you have this, you know, which we see out there in the world right now of doctors as gods and you find yourself with an eating disorder weighing 23 stone which in translation is about 150 kg and the doctor you've gone to tells you that you need to eat a low-fat diet which is what the conventional wisdom is out there even today so you do that and you become worse and you take the pharmaceuticals that they tell you will get you better and you become worse. So medical system is untrue. Your career path is untrue. School is not a safe place. Home is not a safe place. And love is pain, manipulation and more abuse. Thankfully not physical, but still. So you have no belief system left to believe in. That for me is rock bottom. So you've, you've essentially you've always known probably deep down that something's wrong because in my case i can the first i can remember clearly the first time i binged on sugar and i was around the age of 10. so you've had an eating disorder since the age of 10 because what does a child reach for a child reaches for what's there yeah my parents smoked i didn't enjoy the smell of tobacco so there was you know i'm not going to go for cigarettes but my parents had zero concept of what healthy nutrition was so there was sugar everywhere in the house so you start binge eating at the age of 10 so you have this house of cards 
you have a shell of a building and at the age of 35 the last piece of that shell collapses and you're standing essentially in a demolished structure that's rock bottom where there's a there's a music as you know music's a very big part of my life i've always got headphones on and so there's two there's two definitions one is the de the definition of addiction and it's still to this day the best description of addiction I've ever heard in my life and I still get goosebumps when I hear the song it's you've got to cry without weeping talk without speaking and scream without raising your voice and then number two is a Springsteen lyric which says my only faith is in the broken bones and bruises I display so in other words you rock bottom is when everything you've told to believe in has collapsed because for example you've started reading about the food industry and nutrition and you start seeing how corrupt that is how what we're being told is healthy nutrition is actually not you've lost the pillar that if you follow your dad's path into academia and academia is this ivory tower where there's openness to the idea of questioning you find out that's not true you find out the medical sector is full of shit excuse my language every pillar is gone that's rock bottom and as you want you know you you live around london when you demolish a house you have a choice you either start fresh or you leave it and scrap it that for me is the definition of rock bottom there's nothing left to believe in powerful Oh, powerful uh, and um, explained beautifully and it's it's you and you compound that with having the knowledge that I'm in this completely destroyed house and I'm not sure I've got it in me to redo it so everything is in question including yourself you're ready to give up yeah you are you know there's a somebody said a um, said it on a facebook post of mine a few weeks ago um suicide is complete loss of hope and i think that's i think it's true no i agree um so that for me is rock bottom and at that point you you have you have a choice do i give up and to to be frank swallow this bottle of sleeping pills that's on my bedside table or walk out in front of a bus or jump off a bridge in midwinter when the river is frozen so you you know whatever think of whatever way you want to do it you have to choose do i still want to do it and then if you have the choice you need someone to walk into that darkness and start moving you out because you've got ptsd So you have to get, you have, there has to be a light in the darkness to help you. And I was, I, I am very blessed in that I got that. I got a person who happened to be one of my yoga teachers. I think I've told you about her before, Nicole, who, who is this woman who 
she walks into a room and number one she's she's part native american so there's a beauty to her just from like wow that's a woman but there's a power and she walked into or i walked into in desperation a yoga class of hers and she said you need to come and see me asap and that was the light in the darkness that was the first little somebody striking a match and going i'm here and then keep keeping you know a little flame going that's that's where you start and would you say it was the easiest thing you ever did in the world or one of the hardest things you oh god um a little bit of both in the sense that I had, I'd, I'd had for a very, very long time a deep sense that something is not right with me. There's something, but I'd never looked at it. And it was the hardest thing because she, I'll never forget it. She was, um, she is as well as a yoga teacher. She's, a, she's an amazing healer. Um, she's a craniosacral therapist. And my first session with her she had me lying on blankets on the yoga studio floor and she took her hands out from under my spine and she said, Fabian, I'm taking my hands off because there's something I want to say. And she said, I can feel the trauma in your body, but until you speak out what's happened to you and therefore own it, nothing will change. So there's then, there's then somebody's explicitly giving you your choice. I know what's going on with you because I can feel it in your body physically, but I can't, I can't walk through the door for you. You have to do it. But if you choose to walk through the door, I've got your back. And that was powerful because it was, the, I think it was the first time in my life I again felt like somebody was on my side. Because that's what she was saying. She was she she had the analogy. The analogy that I've used to to you before is, you've been you've been you've been locked in this incredibly dark cell in solitary confinement for thirty five years. The door's been opened, but you can't walk out. Somebody has to come in to that darkness and sit with you, and cajole you out, and help you out. You have to walk out yourself but it needs somebody strong enough to go, right, I'm not scared of coming into your darkness and hearing your life story. I can hold it, but you need to do the work. Nobody, she didn't do the work for me, mm. but she was that, you know, I called her a Jedi because she still dresses always completely in black. She walked around with a hoodie on. Yeah, so she just, you know, female, it sounds horrible, but a female version of the Emperor in, in Star Wars, yeah? But just completely, completely unfuckwithable, excuse my language, but she walked into that darkness. She made the conscious choice of, there's somebody here who 
I can help, I can see what's going on, and I'm going to offer him my help. But I still had to take the choice to take the deep breath and go, okay, for, for whatever reason, here is somebody I trust, and I can't explain it. Here is somebody I trust, okay, here's somebody that I can at least take some steps with. But it took that person coming into the darkness and going, hey, here's a little bit of light. Here's a tiny, tiny little pinpoint, literally like, literally like a match head in the dark. And if you want to do this, I'll keep striking the matches for as long as we work together. And she did. Amazing, isn't it, how these sorts of people seem to come into our mm. lives just where we need them. Yeah. And they, they leave a mark on you. You know, she helped design my first tattoo. I sent her all of David's drawings and said, what's your input? Um, she helped design my first tattoo. And it's, yeah, it's left the mark. But that was the first match. Powerful, man. Very powerful. It's, so is it, is it you know, to, to, to your original question, is it easy? Yes and no. It's easy in the sense that you, at least for me, I knew, okay, there's something, there is something very badly wrong. I've got nothing left to believe in and I'm drowning, but you then have to have the faith to reach out and grab whatever life belt is thrown to you. So combination, because no, it's not easy, because you then, once you've got that little bit of light and you start doing pieces of work, and I think you know, you, you can only do work one piece at a time. It has a trickle-down effect. So if you're working on one area, you are by osmosis also working on a lot of other areas in life. But you can, with full attention, only address one thing at a time. I, mean, I agree, Eff effectively. Otherwise, it's a bit like... It's a bit like... Easy analogy is when I'm trying to clean the house. Mm. I'm like, right, I'll do the kitchen, but then I get distracted and go to the sitting room and yes. the bathroom. And I just do... 10% in each mm. um, so you're, you're, you're absolutely right and um, and that means that it's that means that the work is very patchy very scattered and to anybody who's an outsider looking in who's not experienced with trauma it can look painstakingly slow Because you're, you know, the analogy that I've used of the house collapsing, you're having to patiently rebuild this house one brick at a time while also living in it. And it's a total head fuck. <laughs> um, you know, I went through a year when I left academia, I said I need to take one, I need one year of just away from my family, away from this life. And 
I had a year in Australia studying to be a soft tissue therapist and I saw a psychiatrist twice a week and a psychologist once a week and did a lot of other stuff every week while studying full time. So I said I want a year to get a head start. And at the end of a year I was shattered, but the change had started. But that's what it's like. You're doing one piece of your house, one brick at a time, while you're still living in the shell. I wonder if that's actually something which I think can prevent people from really sort of exploring this sort of deeper healing path. I think so. I've got. I, I have two observations. One of my one of my yoga mentors says quote say, always says there's a lot of trauma out in the world, and I say to her, yes, there is, but you have to be specific because you know, look, if if you slip and fall in the street and break your ankle, technically that's a trauma. So yes, a lot of people have trauma, but. Thankfully, I don't think a massive number of people have developmental trauma where it's layer upon layer of stuff working up to an addiction. I think two things happen. I think number one, yes, they're scared. But number two, doing the work changes you, it changes the kind of people you want to be around and it changes the kind of people who want to be around you. And what I mean by that is I've lost friends through you know, now 17 years of doing work. And I don't mean lost in terms of we've had a falling out or whatever. It's just a case of number one, people when you piece it together for them, lights go on in their eyes and they suddenly realize, oh shit, I should have known, I should have seen it. And the guilt kicks in for them and that changes things. Number two, as you naturally grow and evolve, if somebody else isn't, then what happens, right? Your paths just naturally diverge because you become interested in different things, your hobbies change, you know, in my case, your, your way of eating, your way of looking at life, what you're interested in life changes. And maybe that's not the path the other person chooses. And then the third one is people who it's too much for. Like I've had friends who once I've sat down with them and kind of explained what's going on and what work I'm doing, they can't take it, it's too much. It's too dark, it's too shocking, it's too... It's not for everybody. And I think doing the work can be very solitary. Because people don't, people don't want to hear it. No, I, I agree. I agree with you. I think it's. I think it can be very challenging for a lot of people. One, because they've got their own shit to deal with. Yeah. And you doing work can trigger, activate them. Mm. Um, but also, it does take a lot of energy. Mm. And I remember, you know, after my big, my big ayahuasca, you know, I had to. Uh, you know, six months of literally pretty much solitary confinement. Mm. But look, I, I think I think the other the other thing which 
which stops people is, look, we've all got people in our lives whom we love. The hardest thing people talk about, people talk about letting go as being easy, but letting go is actually probably the hardest thing. Because if I'm in a friendship with someone and I'm choosing to do the work and I'm noticing that they're not doing work, then I have a second choice. If I want to maintain that relationship as it is, I cannot do the work. Yeah? Mm. Knowing that if I do the work, the friendship will fade. Or I can choose to take a deep breath and go, actually, I need to sort myself out. And if that person is not doing the work, then our time is shifting. And again, it's not nasty, but it's this idea of, okay, does this friendship serve me anymore? Does this relationship serve me anymore? You have to have that awareness with the secondary awareness that the other person also has a choice. So you have that, again, that combination of easy and dark and that, that play, because that interplay, because the other person, the person that you're dealing with also has a choice. They can do the work and come along with you or they cannot. And I think what scares people is that if you have anybody in your life who's doing the work and you watch them do the work, you will see all of this. You'll see how tooth grindingly painful it can be at times, how exhausting it can be at times, how it's shattering and how it changes your relationships. You can see it. So it's be so so choosing to be with someone who, who goes who's doing trauma work is a choice. And it's the same in a friendship. You know, me, my girlfriend and I were having a conversation about this just yesterday. Um, and she said, you know, she said, Fabian, um, she'll kill me for saying it, but whatever. She said, you know, Fabian, sometimes you, you're hard work. And she didn't say it in a, oh my God, you're hard work, you're, you know, whatever kind of an attacking way. We were actually out for a walk together. But it was the observation of, and I said, what do you mean? It was the observation of being with someone who's doing this level of work is fucking challenging. And it is. And it takes a certain strength to be around that. Don't get me wrong, she has to she has choices to make as well all the time. Because okay, Fabian's you know, Fabian's got this Fabian's finally shifted his sugar addiction, so there's no shit in the house anymore. Do I kick up a fuss and start throwing stuff in the house again, or do I say, Ooh, maybe his nutrition is actually pretty good? Yeah, and I'm, I'm giving you a simplistic example, but it is an example. The person that you're in a relationship with has to make choices as well. They have to be along for the ride. Yeah, and that takes trust, and trust is not easy. When you've had that rock bottom moment of, wait a minute, I actually can't trust anything anymore. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's such a it's such a it's such a complex yeah such a complex so many layers <laughs> yeah kind of thing you've got to sort of think about because 
you know, I, I experienced it. I'm, I'm laughing because my wife would say ex exactly the same about me. She's like, you know, at, t at times you're, you're difficult. You know, you're like, I, I don't, I don't want to be difficult. I'm not. My intention is not to be difficult. Um, but you know, clearly, clearly, at times we can be. It's challenging. Challenging yeah. when you when you're clearing out and sort, sorting your own head out and stuff like that. Yeah, and you know, you said it a minute ago. It's also triggering for them. Massively, yeah. Right. I mean, you know, look, I I, I came into. I came into the relationship with my girlfriend, with my previous relationship having been a seven year cycle of an abusive relationship, emotionally, spiritually, essentially via manipulation, sexually and financially. And then you're taking this leap of trust. You have to, you have to trust that the person that you're with is not going to breach that and that they're gonna be able to hold it. Um, there's have you heard of um, Bessel van der Kolk no. Dutch psychiatrist who is I mean he's, he's sorry he's American now by naturalization but originally Dutch wrote a book called The Body Keeps the Score oh, I've heard of the book about what trauma does to your does to your body physically emotionally spiritually and he says that you and I've mentioned the, the concept before, that you reverse trauma by having experiences that disprove what the conditioning is. So for example, Fabian was bullied in school, bullied at home, therefore has incredibly low self-confidence, therefore doesn't really use his voice because the conditioning is, shut up you pitiful little so-and-so, whatever way you wanna put it. So how do you disprove that? You disprove that by, <laughs> putting yourself in the effing uncomfortable situation of going to jiu-jitsu classes and learning how to physically deal with someone trying to shut you up. And that, of course, brings up visceral experiences that you've been through. Or, in the case of relationship, your conditioning is, um, from your parents, the body is kind of dirty, you know, sex is, 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 not to be talked about behind closed doors um, from your girlfriend it's sex is about power and manipulation not about connection you have to be you have to step in with someone who can give you the experience of disproving all of that and that may bring up some of their stuff so they again have a choice so there's always there's always two choices involved and there's always two people involved and the constant the constant difficulty and fear because it is a fear is okay i'm about to make this choice you know i'll take my own example i've now started once a week jujitsu to try and no not to try and to resolve this self-confidence issue to essentially be able to have the visceral experience and to go back in time and say, no, this is not true, here's how it actually is. You disprove, 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 disprove. But you have the choice of the person that you're working with has to be in it as well. Because if they're not, then you're not with the right person to disprove it, yeah? Which, you know, again, I had to find the right jiu-jitsu studio with the right vibe. 
where there's clearly a head instructor who you just the pure sense of him is he gets it you know he's from the favelas in brazil um not some you know whatever so and so you know posh background never gone through anything who you know what i'm saying he's been there done that got the t-shirt and you can see that in him and it's true in every relationship will this person step in is this trust misplaced so there's constantly that little nagging fear and that's the to me that's the most difficult part trusting that the other person will step in with you because letting go isn't easy oh no i i, I totally agree with you. it's with it's one of the biggest it's one of the biggest hurdles of the work that i do with clients is that full surrender that mm. complete letting go of whatever it is and um yeah people people really struggle with it and and, and you know that that's it's totally understandable hmm. it's totally understandable and I, I i think that is one i think that is i come back to i think that is one reason why people don't do it you know you get into a relationship you get into a routine and people don't like change no no we, we like to the ego loves the predictable familiar. Mm. Yeah. And that'll keep us stuck very often. Yes. And it's, it's it then, and then it, if you are in front of a person, you know, whether it's a partner or a friend or a family member who's not doing the work, then is your difficult moment because then you have to make the choice of, okay, am I okay with this continuing to be as it is? Or do I want to continue to grow? And if I want to continue to grow, then you have the possibility that things fork. And then there's that choice. And I see an awful lot of people who come to that point of, am I going to keep doing the work and have my life shift or not? And it's the fear of loss that you know, one of the meditations you've given me for um, the bubble talks about fear of loss. That's what stops people, in my view. No, I, I agree with you. It's the fear, the fear of losing stuff. I think is a massive one for uh, the majority of us. And I know me personally, I went for really interesting sort of realisation with it when you had to let go of this this worry of a loss and an attachment and you just become non-attached because you recognise that everything is connected anyway mm. so you can't possibly lose something yes. because it's always it's always here but it's an unhealthy I think it's I, I, I think it's I don't even think it's necessarily a a sort of you know we're, we're kind of sitting here describing it as this conscious choice where you're like ticking box A or box B it's almost subconscious that you essentially make the decision that you know what I need to keep doing this work and you realize at a certain point in time that you can only control you I I, but, but ultimately that's all you do need to control yes you know I, this, this is something that I've been exploring with myself personally is getting myself to the point of being an observer in my experience because 
Otherwise, I'm just a walking reaction mm. to my experience. I'm a walking reaction to the external, and the external I can't control. But what I can control is how I process, how, how I code it, and how I react and respond. Yes. And that in itself, once you recognize that, you slip into that observer's point of consciousness. And it's a bit like playing a video game. You, you know you're in this sort of game, and you know you're playing that sort of third person character in a shooter or something like that but you're sort of you're not emotionally invested into it so much mm. and there is this observer's sort of viewpoint and this is where I've been working towards for the last few years for me and now I'm able to spend a lot more time in that in that mindset and it's beautiful where you can literally just observe things and then you can choose how to react and how to mm. respond to that observation. Yeah. And it puts you in just a, a completely different kind of level of influence. Yes. And when it, when it comes to your trauma, it means that you can actually speak to it. Mm. You can internally have that conversation of, okay, I know this is not mine, this is conditioning and you can start moving it. Yeah, for me, that's, I mean, I mean, I wonder if it's the same for you. Well, I know it is, obviously, because we've had these conversations, but for, for the benefit of the listeners, you know, it's the, huge, the vast benefits you, you gain from starting your journey, doing the work. And then for me personally, it's like the more work you did, it allowed you to view life in different ways, and mm. which allowed you to get, gather more data and information and your, your perceptions and your level of what you perceive changed. And then that allowed you to go even deeper with your own personal journey. And then you obviously start to see things differently. Again, it's this sort of steady sort of incline mm. as you become more self-aware. Yes. There's... I sort of have a, having a, a, a brief rewind because it's just popped into my head as to why people don't do the work. There's a very big one for me there, which is people are... The only way to describe it is disconnected from their bodies. They've got no clue what's going on. You've said this before in our conversations. I've, I've, I, I, will, I will never forget having... So at the same time as I met Nicole, I met another body worker who was not trauma-informed the way Nicole is, but who still got it. And I started having proper deep tissue work every week. And along with the movement practice, it got me back into my body. And when you're back in your body, you can feel where things are and you can move them. But, you know, look, look around in life. You know, I saw, I've had an occasion in London where I've seen a girl on rollerblades skate into a tree because she had her phone in front of her face. Now, that sounds funny, and it is, but it's symptomatic. People have got no clue what's going on in their bodies. They're not connected. That's point one. And point two is, again, this, this symptom-based pharmacology in the West of, you've got depression or PTSD here, take this pill. And the pill addresses symptoms, it doesn't address the cause. To get to the cause, you have to go in. 
you know, addictions and, and, and addictions don't come from nothing. And until you address the root, you won't get anywhere. But you can't address the root until you connect to your body. And that's the mistake that Western medicine makes. It's, oh, you've got anxiety? Here, take this pill. You've got depression? Take that pill. You're not sleeping? Take that pill. Rather than actually going, you know what, Fabian? What the hell is going on with you? And I know for me, the really big shift came when I started really pushing myself physically in yoga and weightlifting and keeping consistent with seeing manual therapists because then you're back in touch with your body. Because I think the big thing people fail to realize is that, the big thing people fail to realize, developmental trauma, Bessel van der Kolk, the body keeps the score. He essentially says that when you have trauma at development, during development, you stay in some part of you stays the age you were when the trauma happened. And point two is he asks the question in the book, and it's a very simple question. He says, what do you think happens to trauma? Your body has to store the information somewhere. And if you're numbed and disconnected, then you're not going to be able to get to it. So you have to get yourself back into your body. And personally, I think that is one of the really big key things in, in the world today is, you know, look at the complete lack of empathy there is out there. As soon as you get back into your body, empathy switches back on again. And because people are disconnected, they're not doing the work and they've lost empathy. Yeah, I think that's a really, yeah. a really strong observation. And um, yeah, it's, it's fascinating how, how our traumas are stored. Mm. And I think, you know, this is why we sort of see with modern Western, you know, medicine is that, you know, we, we, we live in, you know, society would have you believe the most advanced mm. we, we, we've ever been. And yet, you know, in society, cancer rates are going well, through the roof, mental health is going through yeah. the roof, stroke. Soft tissue injuries are through the roof because we are actually living a lifestyle that is completely anathema to how we are designed to live. We are hunter-gatherers. We're not meant to be sitting in cubicles behind computers. We're meant to be out there hunting bison. I mean, not, not, I'm, and I'm talking literally, that mm. there are no hunt societies that still live a hunter-gatherer lifestyle, lifestyle, like tribes in Africa and Asia. You know what? They've got, no, they've got no cancer. They've got no dementia. They've got no Alzheimer's. They've got no obesity. They've got no diabetes. They've got no heart disease. And they've got no back, they've got no back neck, and shoulder problems. It's us who's got it wrong. Oh, I, I agree, but you know, you know, this is the problem. We live in a society where we stick people under artificial lights, sitting in shitty chairs, yes, staring at crappy screens for yeah. 10, 12 hours a day. And uh, you know, I, t I tell eating a, rubbish. I, t I tell a story, and it's not about trauma, but I, I tell a story because it speaks volumes for what you do reconnecting someone. So I've got a client who's incredibly high profile. He is the senior partner in London for one of the big American law firms. So, you know, 
he's making, you know, he proudly came into my treatment room one day and said, oh, I just got my bonus papers. My Christmas bonus this year is 10 million quid. You know, so not, was working, you know, lives near the office deliberately, but was working 16, 17 hour days, going home, going to bed, coming back to the office. No relationship to his kids. Got on my treatment table, three weeks later came in for a session and said, Fabian, I'm changing my life. I said, what do you mean? He said, I want this slot now every Monday, 5 p.m. And he has a taxi waiting at the bottom of the building and he goes home. And he has openly said to me, like having just changing one thing, namely having weekly body work has changed my life. And I said, why? And he said, because I feel like he actually said, he said, I feel like I'm in my body and comfortable again. I'm not constantly in pain. I'm much more aware of how disconnected I am from family and friends by virtue of my job and constantly having to look at my screen. You know, they make so much money they're expected to be on call 24 hours. Like, he doesn't take holidays, really. Mm. And yet, making one little change of having somebody work on him, get his posture back, his position back to what it should be, on a weekly basis, that one little change has turned his has changed his life, and he's now talking about retiring in five years, ten years before he planned to. Because he's looking at what he does, and he's just going, "Holy shit, this is not, this is not a life." You know, what good is ten million to you if you never see your wife, you never see your kids, and you can't enjoy it? Oh man, I I, I completely agree. I completely agree. And um, I have I have clients say exactly the same. You know, these successful successful city boys who are like, look, you know, I've ticked all the boxes. I've got everything I was told if I got, I'd be happy, mm-hmm. and yet I feel completely empty inside. You know, help. Yeah, you you once you once you reconnect somebody to their physical body, magic happens, and that was that was the case for me. The deepest, the deep, the, the, the people who had the most effect on me in that darkness were not doctors and, um, you know, pharmaceutical people. It was the complementary health world, the lifting coaches, the yoga teachers, the manual therapists, aside from the counsellors. Because if you sort your body out, if you sort that communication out, then everything opens up. It's, ma- it's literally magic. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that, that year that I took out, three months into it, I was off all my pharmaceuticals. I worked with a naturopath who was like, okay, we need to support your body with this, this, and this, reducing doses. And the combination of manual therapy and movement plus counseling was a thousand times more powerful than pharmaceuticals and counselling. Yeah, no, I, you have to get back into your body. But I guess you know by by coming back into your body, you're also becoming much more present as well. Yes, which is all part part of what we need. And that takes that takes the level of doing the work. That takes the the 
the pain of doing the work to another level because once you're in your body and you actually start to physically feeling in and engage with your trauma it can be agonizing yeah i i, I remember when i i stopped drinking and abusing you know all the different drugs that i used to abuse and um yeah i i remember trying to explain how my emotional range had gone from being fairly small to just this vast spectrum and how I'd experienced pain and suffering like I never suffered emotional pain and suffering. Mm. But also on the other end of the scale how I hadn't experienced love, unconditional love. Yeah. Like that before. So it's this it's, it's, it's this whole sort of broad spectrum of, of, of deep human emotions, yes. which was which was incredible, uh, painful, challenging, upsetting, tricky to deal mm. with at the time. But you know, it was a necessity to to reconnect with the the, 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 phys- yes. the physical, um, because that's that's the only way you can sort of really start this sort of deeper journey of sourcing your own BS out. Mm. And you look, you, 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 if you apply to, if you apply the idea of reconnection to the modern world, it would also be magical because if you think about, you know, to coin the phrase, if you think about toxic masculinity and who's at the top in all of these law firms, they are all disconnected. It's why, it's why, you know, I know for me, and I'm, I don't know what your client, um, what your client ratio is, but for me, actually, the people that I really want to work with are, are the men. Because if you switch off that toxic disconnect and you reconnect them again, stuff changes. You know, that partner, oh, I need to spend time around my kids now. Can't, I can't be missing school events anymore. I can't be missing this. Can't. His masculinity, his, his, his toxic level, because at that level of, of the financial world, they do have to have a killer instinct. They have to have that. But this is the thing, though, isn't it? This is, yeah. the, this is the tragedy, you know, where I've had, you know, I've had people who've gone into that sort of arena you know, which is, first of all, I mean, highly, highly competitive. Mm. You know, you, yes, you make your 10 million pound bonuses mm. maybe, but you know, you are expected to give up everything yes. before that. And you're, you're literally expected to sell your soul. Yeah. But, you know, this, this, is, this, this is the tragedy. This is on a, on, a, on a deeper level. I feel that society has been geared up to keep us disconnected yes. from ourselves. On so many levels, it's not. It's not just the wealthy CEOs who are disconnected. No, we've got the system depends on it. Yeah, exactly. The, the system. system the system. The system depends on depends on fear. You know, one of the things that happened for me once I started diving into my old conditioning, and it's been supremely heightened in the last four months, is you start realizing how powerful fear is, and how it's everywhere. You know, every every commercial you watch, or almost every commercial you watch, is based on fear. If you don't have this car, if you don't use those cosmetics, if you don't look like this, the whole the whole system is based on fear, and it's actually based on fear of scarce scarcity. That's why it's consumerist. Yeah, because we, we you know I don't have, so I need to buy this. Yes, so then it, it starts to complete me. 
and if you if you if you switch that off and reconnect people with themselves then that starts to turn down a little bit you know i give the example again of that partner he now he goes home you know granted he's currently working from home because of lockdown but when he's at the office now he leaves the office at 5 p.m he has breakfast with his kids he has completely shifted his life but i wonder you know i wonder how many people like him would have had that same realization throughout this lockdown period Mm. and maybe this is because i tried to reframe and look at Mm. the positives of lockdown i mean you know we had amazing weather which was epic yeah um you know so i wonder and i hope that more people by having that sort of forced time at home out of the office started to really sort of explore a newer way of being Mm. I found it funny because um, I remember going around to someone's house and the husband was working from home and every single day when I went round there he'd answer the door, he'd, he'd be on Bluetooth, uh, you know, talking to I assume clients in the office and you would see you'd have to remind himself to interact with me and to engage and to say thank mm. you or to whatever before he was just locked into and you know he was upstairs in the sitting room and the wife and the, the children mm-hmm. are downstairs and not allowed to make any noise and it's just like oh man and you know and these are su- super successful and yeah. you just think why like if i got one paycheck for 10 million pounds right i would probably very seriously only work part-time for the rest of my life yeah yeah Right? How many of those? How many of those ten million pound bonus checks do you need before you can go? Yeah. Actually, I don't need to ever work yeah. again. I can spend yeah. the rest of my life doing mm. voluntary stuff, doing stuff I want to do, spending time with my kids and my wife. But I think that's why it takes someone who's gone through trauma to help other people do the work. I like I would never I would never have once I started doing the work every single therapist that has resonated or every single therapist that continues to resonate is someone who has gone through something themselves it takes people like you and me to talk to other men to say hey listen look in my case how powerful a conversation do you think it was with this partner when he asked me what my dad did for a living and I told him hey listen dude my dad was on the board of Credit Suisse. So I know what your life's like because I lived it. And how powerful will that be when I can say it to other people? Oh, listen, it's going to take, it's going to take, it's the, 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 the big piece of humor that I see in this, and it's based off the trauma book, is if, if on an individual level, you can only heal by having disproving experiences of your conditioning. If you then take the argument that a lot of the radical feminists are making that the toxic masculinity has damaged the world, then it is only divine masculinity or healthy masculinity, whatever terminology you want to put on it, that can heal the world. So those of us like you and me and some of my other male friends who are doing the work are the ones who are going to have to lead this you know i could i can stand in front of a group of 
high-powered guys and go, hey, by the way, this is what it means for you not to be home with your kids. This is what it means to have an absent father. Because by the way, the life you're building, I've seen it. It takes a certain authenticity to speak to trauma and to change it. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree with you. Um, and to be to be able to say, hey, listen, you think all that money is is making you happy? Well, let me tell you a little story. And being being willing to be, you know, vulnerability is not easy, but it's what works. Vulnerability absolutely terrified me. Yeah, it's, it's such a long know, period of time. This morning, when I was walking here, because I came way ahead of schedule, so I thought bollocks, I'll walk some. Part of the way here, I was like, oh, shit, I have to sit down and talk to Orson and like spill my guts on stuff. It's scary because, because, and I come back to what I said earlier, because there are going to be some people, because that's the way it is, there are going to be some people in my life who hear some of what I've said or some of what I will say in the time we've got left and it'll be too much for them and they won't be able to handle it. Because to hear that someone's been through developmental trauma in the form of two abusive parents and bullying in boarding school and everything else, they don't want to hear it. Yeah, because it, it, yeah. it, it, trigger, it triggers them. Yes. And this is the thing, you know, I, I, you know, people need to understand that when they get triggered, if someone triggers you, that's something inside of you. Yes. But it, but but the point I'm getting to the point I'm getting to is healers are people who have gone through it themselves, and if the world needs healing right now, then it has to be healed by a healthy example of what until now has been unhealthy, mm. and that means men. And it's what drives me fucking crazy when I hear the the rabid feminists out there attacking men because it's like you know what if you want if you want healthy men around you better stop insulting them uh, there um, needs to be a massive shake up of how and, and men and women you know, if, if, the, if, the, if the toxicity at the top of the financial world or the top of the legal world or whatever where it's money 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 rather than people is going to change it has to be changed by you have to fix it with a healthy version of, an, of something unhealthy. Do you think this is possible? Yes, but I think it's. I think it's. I think there are there are ways of doing it, and there are ways of not doing it. And I think what has to happen is. <laughs> I'll come back to the best way I've ever I've ever thought it is one of my favourite books which is set in South Africa, is about a character who says, quote unquote, in any war there has to be, not a neutral, there has to be an impartial referee. And what I mean by that is right now, you know, you, you only need to log in to Facebook and look at the dreaded word COVID and see what division there is out there. Everybody's, because everybody's at home, Everybody's behind a keyboard and it's very easily to call someone names over a keyboard. It's much harder to do it face to face. So the key is connection, face to face connection, and the key is dialogue. So as an example, I have a, my girlfriend has a friend who 
she is a rabid feminist. And I stopped her in dead in her tracks one day in the pub and it was hilarious to watch her face because she's married and I said to her, just go home tonight and you're not allowed to respond. The question I want you to ask your husband is, what is it like being a man in the world today? And when you have that face-to-face -face dialogue rather than screaming at each other, then things start shifting because then you have connection again and then you have empathy again. As soon as you look in somebody's eyes, it's very hard to insult them. It's very hard to sit across the table from someone who is, for example, a Brexit voter and call them an asshole and call them this or that or the other. It's very easy to do that over a keyboard. And that's where I think people like you and me are, are important in that we can facilitate that dialogue because we've been through the trauma. Yeah, you I, know, I, I can, love having the conversations. I try and instigate yeah, them all the time. I can, I can stand in, I can sit in front of a, a raging feminist and say, hey, listen, maybe just, just have the conversation with your husband. What's it like being a man in the world? And you know, not all men are like that 1% at the top who are egomaniacal or whatever negative word you want to put on it and by the way us men have been damaged by the patriarchy as well you ever thought about that one but you can't say that over a keyboard no, I, I, so, I, so I actually think I actually think social media is incredibly toxic I think what works is face-to-face -face conversations because then I can, you know, in my case, I can look into, the, into a lawyer's eyes and say, hey, listen, mate, you not being at home is having an effect on your kids. You not being there as a male example for your son is having an effect. And I can say that because I've lived it. And then things change. So there's a... I will own up to not having watched it yet, but my girlfriend has watched it and says it's incredibly powerful. There's a documentary on Netflix at the moment called The Social Dilemma, which is all about this. I think social media now is no longer that much of a force for good because it's become too... What we see out there is a reflection. It's too polarised. Oh, no, I, I agree. I mean you know the documentary basically just sort of highlights just how it's used to manipulate and coerce. Yeah. Um, but I still like to feel you know I enjoy I enjoy social media mm. there's, there's obviously I totally agree with you there's a huge amount of heavily toxic division uh, and that's why I try and post positive, yes. positive yeah. stuff to try and sort of you know dilute the negativity but like everything, social media is just a platform. And yes. It's up to the humans to interact with mm. it in a different way. Um, but I think it's important to recognise just humanity is so divided, and it's divided on purpose. Mm. And you know, I really do feel that we're being manipulated as a species to behave a certain way and to create massive distractions. And it's to it's to strip us of empathy and that that for me is something that comes out of trauma is you develop an empathy and I will get lambasted by some people for saying this but I've got friends who you know 
without diving into the depths of it. I've got friends who are Brexit voters and I've got friends who are Trump voters. And I say to people quite openly, you know, I understand a lot of their points because I've been to the place of having my beliefs completely destroyed. And that is again, is where dialogue comes in and it's where people like you and me come in because there's the, there's, you know, it's like in a rugby match, a referee is not neutral, he's impartial and there's a difference. Neutrality is, oh, I'm not taking sides. Impartiality is standing in the middle of an argument and going, hey, that's out of order, but by, by the way, that's out of order as well. Let's try this. And I think that's what's needed and that's what's needed from people like you and me. It's men that need it. You know, or friends of mine that are personal trainers who, who have the same mindset. Yeah, I agree. I think there's, there's definitely a lot of healing needed um, at, the, at this moment in time. Mm. And especially at the moment because it does, it, it does feel that the world is only getting more and more divided. Yes, and you know, I see it, I see it out there with, with COVID, people are being traumatized by lockdown and they're not even aware of it. Yeah, man, I mean, there's, there's people walking around their own flat, living by themselves mm. in full PPE because they're terrified yes. of catching this virus. Yes, oh yeah. Which I find is just, just crazy and, you know, but not but but not even that you know my attitude is if you if you really want to do that that's one thing but what's going on out there in terms of the division you know there's starting to be language of people who download a mask exemption for whatever reason and who don't wear a mask you know this morning joe biden essentially said that wearing a mask is a patriotic duty like wait a minute when did we get into into warlike language here the division is being pushed by both sides and it's going to take powerful people who have done the work themselves who have empathy for both sides to say hold on a second and that for me is the key yeah well i think we need a radical shake-up on how the world yeah. is run and operating yes these guys that we have in power at the moment have been using these same strategies for a long mm. a long period of time and um, there still seems to be an awful lot of uh, but the point the, the point I'm making nonsense. is the point that I'm making is is that the lockdown is itself people don't want to hear it but lockdown is itself a trauma Look, let's, let's ask a really simple question, okay? How do you subdue and break a mammal's spirit? I don't know how much you know about the animal kingdom. Yeah. You, either, you, you, you force it into, you get it into isolation, either through fear or by force. And the second piece is you muzzle it. You lock it in a space and you tell it it's not allowed to vocalize, it's not allowed to make noise, it's not allowed to go out and about. It's why solitary confinement is so controversial. And yet this is what's been happening for the last four months. So whether you believe that lockdown was the right thing to do or not, 
it is a trauma, but nobody's saying it. Well, there was an article in one of the papers the other day, and it was saying that a uh, quarter of a million people could lose their lives due to yes the lockdown. Well, I mean, look, I saw I saw a report the other day that said that suicides have gone up by seventy five percent during lockdown. Yeah, I mean that's just crazy. You know, um, thirty five thirty five thousand excess deaths from cancer. But again, the problem is there's nobody there's nobody out there being impartial and saying, hold on a minute, guys, calm down, calm down. Let's have a seat, seat around the kitchen table. Here's a joint for you. Here's a joint for you. Have a puff and then let's talk. People are standing on the sidelines screaming at each other. And it's the same. It's the same. It's the same everywhere. You know, I see example. People do not want to hear another viewpoint. It's an echo chamber and it applies in every area of life. No, I, I, yeah, I hear you. I've been, uh, I've had people uh, moan at me when I've sort of put across what I, 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 I theorize about. <laughs> and um, yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, just for me, I just, I just find just the level of fear and and just the really really poor poorly way that you know the government has has done a lot of mm. things and not only the British government but global, global everywhere every everywhere pretty much everywhere yeah you know to create this a huge amount of fear and they haven't really seemed to know what the hell they're doing and no but 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 it's it's you, you know <laughs> Have they, do they know what they're doing or do they not in the sense of even if we don't study history governments do and at the end of World War II when they had the war crimes trials and they asked Hitler's deputy how did you get the German people to be so obedient his answer was oh it's simple we used fear because people who are in fear of their lives will become obedient and I think that's what's happened here. I think that's what's happened elsewhere. The fear of God has been put into people to the point that they are perfectly willing. You know, I, I've had I've had discussions with people who have told me, oh yeah, yeah I've lost both of my businesses. Um, I'm barely getting by. You know, I'm going to need government help, but it's okay because I'm alive. Like, what? Fear makes people do crazy things and for me lockdown has been fascinating because i've been the work i've been doing has been on my own fears the conditioning i've had so to be out in the world working through your own fears while the world is going through this hyper heightened state of fear is super interesting because you start noticing the fear and being able to call it out If that makes sense to you. No, it makes perfect sense. But yeah, fear is fear is a powerful tool and right now it's being used. I wonder what the end is. I wonder how I wonder how we get out of this. I mean my wife and I were chuckling well, we've been chuckling for the last week about it, is the fact that 
you know, singing and dancing is now mm. illegal in my, my in the UK in social environments. You know, we we can't hang out with any more than six other people. You know, <laughs> there's you know there's all this sort of stuff. And you know, a year ago, if we'd have been having this conversation, oh, well, Fabes, you know, in a year's time, singing and dancing is going to be illegal. Music above eighty-five decibels is going to be illegal. Um, you know, Christmas is effectively cancelled for most families because mm. most families have got more than six, six people. people. Yeah, um, you know, extended. It, it's it's where where this is going to end up. I don't know, but I do think that my instinct is that there is going to be a lot of people who, when lockdown properly ends, are going to continue to be afraid because that you know, look, it's. Again, the word the, the, the term PTSD gets overused, but when I see the level of fear that's out there in in a lot of people, including some of my clients, that's going to take work to undo. And I think that whenever this ends is when it begins, when the healing actually starts. I don't think the healing is going on right now except for necessarily people like yourself and me who choose to do actively. I think the healing starts when we come out of this and people have a moment to pause and go, what the fuck was that? Do you think, when do you, you have think that moment of, what? That's when the healing starts because that's when you, that, and that's when people like you and myself are going, you know, I've said, I've said to you about our energy work that I am convinced that the universe is going to spit me back out into the world with full-on work when it's ready, when it when it's the turning time. Because that's when my voice, when your voice, when some of my other friends out there, voices are going to become super powerful. Because we've done the work and we can then say to people, hey, listen, that's what that was. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm already seeing it. I think mm. for, for me, like I remember when the, when the lockdown first happened, I was just like, oh God, <laughs> you know, this for me is just like the epitome of hell. Mm. Um, but, you know, it's certainly got more and more people to sort of look at their lives and see what's holding them back. And, you know, especially as now lockdown has eased, um, and also the power of the internet and doing be able to do video consultations. Yeah. You know, more and more people are coming to me going, look, you know, I, I recognise I've got shit and mm. I recognise stuff is holding me back and I recognise that I'm not as happy as I want to be. I'm not fulfilled and all this sort of stuff. And then it's the perfect opportunity to really start addressing all of that. Yes. It's the perfect it's the perfect time to heal. It's the perfect time to get our house in order because whatever is going on with the world at the moment you know it's only going to get a little bit more chaotic before it gets better and mm -hmm. I would argue we all need to be in the best shape of our lives because it is going to get crazier you know we, we, we just do not know what's going to happen mm. there is a lot of uncertainty and, and and it's going to take it's going to take I actually I actually think that the the level of leadership from the political level is not going to matter as much as the the level of leadership on a personal connective level. Like, look, I, I, I've got clients exactly like you who lockdown has, they for the first time have said, you know, look, Fabian, I, I know I need to 
not even physical stuff, but clients who recognize, you know, Fabian, you know, I've never dealt with that or I've never dealt with that. It has, there are, there is a segment of people who have started to snap out of it. Oh, definitely, definitely. Which is great, which is mm. really, which is really, really empowering for them and really positive. Yes. For us who want to see more people sort of crack on, start their healing and sort of be able to sort of break free of the matrix, so to speak. Mm. Yeah. The fear, the corruption, the manipulation, the deep influence that we're all under. Yes. And then there will be, you know, there will be that segment that, that chooses to stay asleep. Which is fine. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's their personal choice. Yeah. Um, but that's, as I say, that to me is where people who have done the trauma work come in. Because the people who want to do the work are going to need examples in front of them of who has done it. Yeah. And I think that's what ties back to what your point was earlier is, and I've had clients say it to me, that, you know, the reason why they enjoy doing the work that we do is because, I've, you know, in a lot of cases I've been there, mm. you know, and I've, I've, I've had to pull myself yeah. out of the... Been there, done that, got the T-shirt, the, right. The, the depths so many times and, you know, and it's also, it's, it's about recognising that we're, we're all, we're all essentially the same. Yes. We're, we're, we all feel the same. We all have... We all have shit, we all cry, we all fuck up, we all make mistakes. And I think one of the greatest gifts that we can give to others is is a gift of time and to help mm. them, you know, advance and maybe not make the mistakes like we used to, or at least when they do make the mistakes that we all make, you're there just to go, look, been there, got the t-shirt, don't worry, dust yourself down, life will get better. Mm. Because everything is just... Everything is just temporary, and regardless of how mad the world seems at the moment, for me, I think it's always important to remember that this is just a temporary mm. human experience, and once you get into that role of being able to observe it as an experience, a temporary one at that, you know, life for me certainly became a hell of a lot easier. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you, yeah, present, that, that takes presence, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was having that, a deep conversation last night with my cousin all about the present moment <laughs> and just how beautiful it is to be in the present mm. moment and, you know, just how empowering it is. Yeah. But, but again, you know, society, I believe, is being set up where it's very difficult to for a lot of us to get to a present moment yes. and certainly to yeah. remain in a present mm. moment because there's just this wrath of distractions and BS, which gets pulls you left, right, and centre. You don't know if you're coming or going. Mm -hmm. um, it's it is it is well. I mean, it's you know, the cynical side of me says 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 advertising and marketing is manipulation. You know, it it is in part. Yeah, I I agree. And and that's that's part of it. That's part of the game. You know. Again, if you don't have this car, if you don't have that, if you don't buy this, if you don't buy that. And giving you an other to criticize and point the finger at to keep everybody divided. You know, it's, it's classic as old as the hills, divide and conquer. 
And if the powers that be keep us divided, they can keep doing what they're doing. But again, that that's where you get to the question of how do you undivide it? And you undivide it by having people in the matrix, whatever you want to call it, who call out division and who say, here's how you heal. It can be, it can be, it can be challenging to call out division yep. at times without making yourself look even more divisive. Yes. I've found with recent movements, especially, <laughs> and you're like, oh, well, that's, that's not what I meant. Mm. I kind of sort of think that's creating a lot of division, but because I'm highlighting that, I'm also creating division yeah. in someone else's eyes. So it's not always... Oh, God, no. No, no, it's always not. an easy one to... But if, if it was, if it was, you know, if it was easy, everyone would do it, right? And that's, I think that's the, you know, what I, I had somebody ask me like once, what's the hardest thing about doing the work? And I said, well, where would you like me to start? To come, to come back sort of almost to trauma is doing the work and calling out division and starting to think of yourself as a leader or, or a, impartial person in the world that's helping the healing through what you do in your case through energy work and counseling and through my work my in my work through soft tissue therapy and yoga it's not easy but you have you know i know for me i sometimes have to set my you know to take current politics and covid into account i almost sometimes have to set aside my own belief system in order to give empathy to the person I'm trying to help. Sometimes it's not about telling them your viewpoint. Sometimes it's just about giving them energy work or working on them because that's your offering. That's how you're serving. Right? Hmm. No, I agree. I have... I have uh... I have a few clients that I can't, you know, I won't discuss certain things with. Mm. Well, very, 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 very few, because yes. obviously a lot yeah. of people I mean, look, you're <laughs> work with me because they, they, yes. they kind of know what I'm about, so they, but, that's what they like. But there's still some that you're just like, no, just out of respect, I'm not going to wind you up on this. <laughs> yeah, you, 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 there's, if the goal is healing, what's the point in winding up? Oh, what's the point in winding up? All you can do is plant a seed. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's right. what I try to do. Hold, hold space, plant seeds. Yes. Yeah. And give them, give, give them something to think about or give them another perspective. Hmm. So, hmm, how about if you look at it this way? The thing is, yeah. you know, like, I love having conversations like that because I, I, for me, generally, I don't mind if I'm right or I'm wrong. Mm. It's not about that for me. I'm more interested in just gleaming more information and seeing how other people feel about stuff. Yeah. Um, but again, it can be quite hard just to have that sort of intellectual, you know, conversation with some people who are not going to get triggered by, you know, you trying to gain a deeper understanding without making them feel like you're attacking, which you're not. You're just trying mm. to really understand. So you're going to probe and question. Yeah. They take the probe and questioning as a personal mm. attack on them because you don't believe them, mm -hmm. or you're questioning, which you are. But 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 I, you're exactly right. 
but to me that also speaks to an insecurity in their own belief system. Right, I'll give you an example. I was at a DMT ceremony about six weeks ago and before we got started there was chat in the room and one of the people at the ceremony was a personal trainer and the conversation got around to nutrition and this concept which was to call it as it is bluntly which was created by the food industry that quote unquote a calorie is a calorie meaning if I put 100 calories in broccoli in front of you and 100 calories in Mars bars a calorie is a calorie implies that your body will process the broccoli the same way it processed the Mars bar. So I made that point to this person and said, are you open to a suggestion of somebody to listen to and whose book to read that calls out that quote unquote science? And she flat out refused. She was like, no, I'm not interested in reading the book and actually turned her head away. And what I'm getting at is you, again, you can, you can only offer to plant the seed. You can't force the person. No. Free will reality. Right? Yeah. And if, if that person chooses to continue to believe that, and if people want to continue to believe that, fine. So I actually start a lot of my conversations with a simple question. And the simple question is, are you willing to hear an alternate viewpoint? Or are you interested in an alternative viewpoint? Because I have a little bit of an attitude of, I'm 44, I've got to where I am in my life through fucking hard work. Do I want to talk to somebody who's not even willing to listen or do, you, do I want to plant a seed with someone who is at least showing the slightest interest in listening? Because some people just aren't. They're just, they're, you can, you know, I'm sure you've seen it. You get the, the analogy that I have is of the shutters coming down. You can almost hear the, the motor in their head just going, <laughs> you know, like when, when you walk past a shop and they're lowering the shutter. Yeah. That's sort of all, I almost get that sound in my head. You can see the eyes just go, nope. Versus someone who's willing to take what you say and go, hmm, that's interesting. Maybe it's a starting point for me to have a little bit of a read or a listen or question. It's having that willingness to... Mm. To, to entertain new possibilities. Yeah. It's called being open-minded. Yeah. And a lot of people are closed-minded. You know, I've got, I've, got, I've, got one, I've got one person in my life who I offered to send them the interview and the video with the two doctors. I think I actually sent it to you when it came out with the two doctors from Oxford University School of Medicine who were the government's alternate model talking about why they thought lockdown was a bad idea. And I have a friend, I asked him, I said, are you willing to watch this? Are you, you know, Oxford University is not inferior to Imperial College. It's the government had two models to choose from. They chose A, why not B? And the, the, the friend didn't even want to hear it. He's like, nope, not listening. And I felt like saying, so you're saying Oxford University is inferior to Imperial College? You know, there's an example. I have my belief system, and for some reason, I cannot allow it to be challenged. Once you get that, there's no point in continuing, because you'll never get through. Mm. The thing is, I find with people like that is that they can't, they simply can't 
process or deal with the fact that their belief structure might be wrong. And if that, if the, if one part is wrong, what else is wrong? It's why a lot of people won't start therapy. Mm. Um, my girlfriend asked me this very early in our relationship. She's like, "Why do you think?" certain members of your family are not doing the work and I said because they've watched me and they know that you, you you may start with one issue so in my case oh my god I need to sort my relationship with my mum out but it never stops at being one issue because once you to, to use the analogy of the matrix once you I forget which pill it is but once you take that pill and you open the door to the rabbit hole it's never just one issue. It turns bigger, and it the work, the work snowballs. Because it's you know if you think about it, if you go down a rabbit hole, it's a network of tunnels, isn't it? So you know your relationship with your mum leads you to your relationship with your older sister, which leads you to a relationship with that person, which leads you to your relationship to that. Doing the work, you think you start with one thing, but it never stops with one thing. No. And I know in my life there are people who will not do the work because they think they're going to go in, they, they've, they've watched you do the work and they realize that. Like my mum will not go and see a grief counsellor. Two years on from my dad dying, she's not coping well in my view. She will not go and see a grief counsellor. She acknowledges that she won't go and see a grief counsellor. She's open about, nope, I won't go and do it. She doesn't bullshit around, but I know she won't go because that door of her relationship to her husband, i.e. my father, will lead her to other doors and she doesn't want to explore because it draws her whole belief system and her world and her house of cards into question. And I see the same with other people because it's never just one doorway. No. You start with one thing. It's just layer upon layer. It's upon layers layer. of la it's layer, and that's why doing trauma work to an outsider seems really slow because you're doing one thing at a time, and you're you know, and you're constantly asking yourself the question: Will this person come along or not, or am I going to lose this relationship? You know, we've talked about this. I'm going through some work right now to 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 kind of. I've done a lot of work under the surface or behind the scenes and the last kind of big piece that needs to come in is self-confidence to then be able to put all the work that I've done to use. But I have a constant question in the back of my head of, gee, you know, if I become more self-confident, it's going to change the dynamic of all of my relationships. And once you've been in a relationship for a while, it quite naturally develops a dynamic of its own. Okay, so what happens if I'm changing that dynamic? Is that person going to come along? Or am I going to have a fork in the road with them? Is that person going to come along? Or am I going to have a fork in the road with them? So it's again, it's that fear of loss or whatever. But it never stops. And that's, the, that's what keeps people from doing it. You know, if you, if you think about somebody like some of your clients that you're talking about as a millionaire, if you if you if you start questioning your work and your income, 
you're naturally going to start questioning other things. Well, why do I need this car? Why do I need that expensive holiday? Why do I need, you know, why do I need to go on a shopping spree in Harrods for five grand? It's never just one thing. It turns into a snowball. Mm. Oh yeah, I, I, I realized that with my journey of, oh, I need to, you know, I'm an alcoholic, I need to stop drinking. Mm. And, you know, you're just thinking, oh, well, that's just, you just need to stop drinking. You're like, oh no, 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 you need to understand why yes. you drink yeah or in my case why are you binging on why why is your breakfast two pints of ben and jerry and and a domino's pizza with stuffed crust why am i eating that that's the symptom yeah it's not the disease that's the manifestation or why am i snorting you know not i never did hard drugs other than in the ceremonial setting <laughs> But you know why? Why, why am I snort? Why am I snorting that cocaine? It leads to questions. Yeah, most people just get to that point where why am I snorting cocaine? Well, it makes me feel better. Oh, well, mm -hmm. I'll carry on doing it. Yeah. Yeah, but why do you need to feel better? Yes. And that's the trap that Western medicine sets when it when it deals with things like depression, which is the question is not why are you depressed, why is your brain chemistry fucked up, why are you why have you got an addiction in the form of an eating disorder? It's here, take this pill and you'll feel better. Yeah. It's so not those, holistic. Those, those pills never work for me. Doing the work is holistic, and Western medicine is not holistic. Yeah. And I think more people are I think more people are starting to wake up and recognize that. Yes. That the pill, pill, pills the drugs don't work as the verb said. Yeah. But 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 I think I think the other thing that really needs to change is and it's to be honest it's the biggest other than my own work and sort of hearing myself speak it's the biggest reason I wanted to do this today is that more men need to be open about talking about it. I agree. I agree. Because there's this, there's this thing of you know, you, you have to be strong. Shut up. Don't do it. Don't talk about it. That's bullshit. Yeah, I have this. Uh, I have a, a a number of groups uh, with a range of different people mm. in, and um, we have a men's support group, and we we talk about this a lot. How more men need to be honest about how mm. they feel and their emotions, and it's n it's not a weakness; it's actually a strength, and embracing vulnerability and, and mm. all this sort of stuff. Because there is there has been this huge toxic masculinity has been commented earlier on in the podcast, um, and I think I think I think. I think that's. I think, I think it's changing. I think it's, it's definitely changing. Have you heard of? Okay, it is changing, but there's an additional piece. Um, have you heard the name Brene Brown? Yes. She has a passage in one of her books where she describes being in a room full of students and hearing the female students talk about all of the shit that comes up for them when they're about to have sex. Will he like my boobs? Does my bum look big in, big in this? And she describes a young man in the room banging his fist on the table and saying, hey, listen, do you think you're unique? Because we go through the same shit. Does she like my pecs? Does she like my bum? Does she like my legs? And the point that Brene Brown ends up making via this story is that if you're going to change toxic masculinity, femininity and feminism have to change as well. 
because you know look take 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 my own personal example if I didn't think my girlfriend was open to being around me when I cry or talk me talking through my stuff with her when when I feel the need to I wouldn't be doing the work there has to be the space for men to do it and that involves a shift from women Brene Brown says it she says she, she says if you say that you want your man to be more vulnerable the next question you need to ask yourself is how do I react when he's vulnerable do I find it abhorrent or can I sit and hold the space for my father my boyfriend my brother my husband when they are being vulnerable it's going to take both genders and that's where the feminist movement goes wrong because it shouts down men and as a result men withdraw there's a huge movement right now and I've got I've forgotten its name but it actually has a name for men in our age demographic who are so pissed off with feminism they've decided they're going to stay perpetually single yeah 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 no, I've, I've, uh, um, the, the movement has a name but I can't remember it off oh, the top I can't of my head I've read an article in the yeah. New York Times about it but it's in other words it needs for, 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 for help to draw out divine masculinity and in a nod to her I know she I have a friend who hates the term divine masculinity like she prefers a different term but whatever it's a term that resonates for me for divine masculinity to be drawn out it needs divine femininity it needs the goddess to draw the god out you need the goddess you don't need the goddess over in the corner spitting words and that's where the radical feminist movement goes wrong they talk a good talk of men need to change they need to come out but they're not offering the space and they're not holding the space the most powerful of my of the people that I've worked with other than yourself and a handful has been women because unless you feel you have a safe space to explore and do the work you're not going to no i agree and it's yin and yang right so it's all well and good to say oh men need to talk but actually women need to be open to men talking and and and, and expressing that vulnerability yeah because you know earlier on you know you sort of said you know quite often women don't like it when men yeah. cry they claim they, they say they want the ma their man to be vulnerable but how do they actually react when he is yeah it activates them it triggers them in my because my, they've my been conditioned they, they've been conditioned in spite of what they say to actually want the man to be this powerful you know the 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 the, the, the sort of stereotypical um yeah disney movie knight in shining armor and the knight in shining armor doesn't show any vulnerability no. it doesn't show weakness yeah and yet and yet i say this quite openly the most with with a few exceptions the most powerful men i've met have actually been on the face of it the opposite of toxic masculine they've been very introverted and they're all you know my my one of my first lifting coaches i only worked with him for a short period was a former navy seal quietest most gentlest guy you can imagine 
and deeply vulnerable. So the opposite of, to of what the world is telling us toxic masculinity is. And boy was his wife a powerful woman. But you need both. Toxic masculinity out there in the world is not toxic, toxic masculinity, is not masculinity. That's masculinity. I mean, this guy, you wouldn't, you know, if you, two tours of duty in Iraq, two tours of duty in Afghanistan, and most of what he got up to will be classified for at least another 20 years. But one of the gentlest, nicest, most loving human beings you would ever meet. But he had to have the people in his life who could hold that space. Mm. Yeah. So there is toxic femininity out there as well. And you'll never get men to be vulnerable unless the girlfriend that says, oh, I want, you know, God damn it, I wish he would talk more about how his day was and I wish he would do that. Well, how are you reacting when he wants to? It's too easy to say, I want my man to be vulnerable. You have to prove it. Well, I think it's a, it's a very good point, very wise. Very strong point. Yeah, I, I, I saw it. I saw it my whole life, to to make it personal. And I saw it my whole life with my mum. He, he said, you know, your father's got depression, but he won't admit it. I, he won't admit it. I wish he would talk about it. And in hindsight, I feel like saying to her, yeah, but you were never really open to it, because I heard you telling him at times to just get on with it. So you're saying one thing, but your behaviour is proving completely the opposite. And now that's not, that's not intended to be an attack on women. It's intended to be an observation that if you want, whatever you want to call it, healthy masculinity, divine masculinity, sacred masculine, if you want the sacred masculine to lead and be in the world, you have to offer the sacred feminine because that's where the balance is. That's where the yin and yang come together, right? Mm. And in that sense, what's happening out there with, with the radical feminists is yet more manipulation because it's keeping us more divided. The extreme gender movement is just as much a cause of division as COVID-19, as Brexit, as, as race, anything else. Again, divide and conquer. Women are pissed off at men, men, men are pissed off at women. Mask wearers are pissed off with non-mask yes. wearers and vice versa. Mm. Yeah. But I think that's what... And anybody who questions the current climate in any way is suddenly a COVID denier. Right? <laughs> yeah, I've, I've been accused of being a COVID denier and I'm like, I'm not a COVID denier. I'm, I'm questioning the response of our government. And, and that's, that's one of my big pet peeves with, with the world at the moment is what I will call <coughs> the complete division into an echo chamber and the total loss of the capacity of nuance to see, to see shades of grey. I got into trouble on Facebook the other day because somebody was... We were, there was a discussion on on somebody who I follow for professional development on his message board because he's someone who's critical of the situation with COVID. And somebody 
launched a rant and I, um, I wrote back with a question. I said, look, have we completely lost the capacity for nuance? Question mark. And I said, I deliberately made it slightly provocative. I said, for example, I find Donald Trump a ridiculous, abhorrent figure. The way he talks about women, whatever. I said, however, was he right or was he wrong when he called the Iraq war a gigantic mistake? And I made the point, I said, you can disagree with someone on almost everything they say, but on one issue or two issues, you can actually go, hey, you know, there's a point there. And that's been lost. The, the capacity to say, well, you know what? They might, I think they're a complete shit in a lot of other areas, but they've actually got a point on that. So we're all off in our little corners congregating only with people who agree with us because social media creates an echo chamber if you're not careful and there's the capacity to see, to see shades of grey has disappeared and the capacity for genuine debate has disappeared because people aren't having face to face conversations because they're in the keyboards yeah this is why I want to try and bring back the sort of the face-to-face -face conversation yeah. more. Mm. Yeah. Um, because it, it's, yeah. It takes, it, it takes empathy. You have to have this, the capacity to switch on empathy. And it's the, the world, the, the, the manipulation that's going on out there is designed to prevent that. Well, hopefully, hopefully soon we'll start to see some sort of end in sight because mm. it has been a it has been a remarkable, remarkable year so far, and um, I'm pretty sure it's it's only going to uh, it's only going to gather pace. Yeah, as we get closer to the <laughs> it's closer to Christmas, yeah. closer to Christmas, winter season, winter season. <laughs> we've got obviously we've got the U.S. elections, and yeah, how is that going to pan out? How is that going to affect the world? Um, we've obviously got all this COVID and what our government's going to do and it's fascinating yeah and it's, it's I think again I think when the big shift and when the healing happens is when it opens up again because people are going to come out of essentially what you know if we assume knock on wood obviously not but if we assume the current situation lasts until the end of the year people will have spent nine months essentially to use P peter hitchens term under house arrest that's a trauma oh yeah i mean the the, the knock on the knock on damage of all of this is 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 mm. so vast it's 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 actually pretty terrifying yes far, far more terrifying for me than, than, than COVID itself. Yeah, I agree. I agree, and I, I, that, that's why I come back to. I think, you know, I see not just my role, but friends of mine' role, and 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 your role as well. As what are we gonna? What's our role gonna be once this starts winding down? Our role is gonna be to facilitate healing. Yeah, yeah, and we're st we're starting that with a group next month with 
in Italy, mm. as long as there's no travel restrictions. And I, 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 I agree. I agree. I think um, I think the world does need healing, and I'm not going to profess to know exactly how that looks mm. right here, right now. I don't think any. I don't think anybody does. <laughs> but I think more and more people are going to are going to want to sort of to heal, to resolve, to to wake up from. I think it's I think it's lockdown has made people has put the choice front and center in people's ways. Here's your shit, are you going to work on it or not? And if not, that's your choice. But are you going to work on it? Yeah, it has to be a conscious choice. Mm. You have to take that even if it's a baby step, you have to take the step. One of my favorite analogies for myself for doing the work is the, the, is the um, you know, the famous um, tortoise and hare story. And there's a, there's a meme that I have, I had it saved on my phone somewhere because it makes me laugh every time. It's three pictures. So tortoise and hare, tortoise and hare, tortoise and hare. Three, three, three shots. And the first one is the hare asking the tortoise, shall we race home? And the tortoise says, sure. And the second picture is the tortoise with its head gone, i.e. inside the shell. And the third picture is the, is the hare calling the tortoise a cunt. Yeah, because the work is slow, but there's nothing wrong, wrong with doing the work slowly. You're doing it. Yeah. I think sadly though we, we kind of have fallen into this sort of societal trap of like instant results yeah. instant gratification mm-hmm. and um, and that's where take the pill comes in yeah right yeah. or well, that's where continue to eat that's where the miracle diet of continue to eat the foods you love while losing weight comes in instant gratification yeah you know I thought I thought that with uh the first time I did ayahuasca I thought I'm just going to drink this ayahuasca like three times and then that will change my life boom and in reality that that's exactly what did happen mm-hmm. it did change my life but it was the starting point it was the yeah. catalyst of this this journey and um, it was a it was a number of years still of like every day yeah work and focus and attention I think I think the way the best way I've I've seen psychedelics, and in my case DMT, described is they will quote unquote show you the road or break down a block on the road, but you still have to do the walking. Yeah. Yeah. So, so like if you don't go to a DMT ceremony or an ayahuasca ceremony and drink the ayahuasca or smoke the DMT, and suddenly everything's fine and dandy. Well, I've, my, I've certainly never had that. Yeah, in my case, you know, bits of trauma get removed or, quote-unquote, as we've talked about, a wound gets reopened so you can work on it, but you still have to work on it. You know, the last DMT session I work, I went to, I went in with the intention of, okay, enough is enough. I need to figure out my self-confidence. I need to break this fear down. But I'm still having to do the work of going to jiu-jitsu classes and having the visceral stuff come up and being in that healthy atmosphere and being able to say no to that old conditioning. 
you still the, the the psychedelics are a facilitator they're not a miracle cure no I agree and I think that's uh, it's, it's, that's good it's, it's, it's good for people to understand because I think there is this, uh, this this misconception that you know they are this magic pill and they are they, I mean they, they are a fantastic tool to help you become more aware that's the right word of what you need to do mm. they're, they're, they're a tool and not the fix mm. no the fixer is you yeah these are just a, a, a plethora uh, uh, of tools uh, 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 and I, I actually have one more like I'm a because I'm a big believer in it because I've seen it myself people are scared of doing the work but Nicole said it to me early on and it's been proven true if you choose to do the work the universe will give you the people you need so it's not as lonely as you think it's lonely in the sense that you have to do the work and that you have to make the choices whether it's do I keep going with this friendship this relationship this whatever or do I keep growing do I you know pick up a movement practice and get consistent at it to help me in my body or do the work but the universe will give you people to help you so it's lonely but it's not lonely and I say that because you know I look back since starting to do this in 2003 albeit initially in a very small way like I look back and the people that have come through some for extended periods of time some for very brief moments and some people who have gone and are no longer part of my life and every single one of them gave me something for the path not necessarily something that you would think would be particularly big but everybody gives you everybody that comes onto your path once you're doing the work is there for a reason yeah they all each give you a piece to your mm. puzzle doesn't matter how small it is it goes to building yeah or they give you something that gives you strength mm. whatever and they can be in your life as i say for a really short period or they can be in your life for for an extended period or forever but everybody who crosses your path is there for a reason look i i took uh, in the early part of this year before lockdown and just before christmas i took three trial classes at jiu-jitsu places in west london one of which my nutritionist referred me to who's a black belt in jiu-jitsu the vibe wasn't right why is the vibe right at the place that i've walked into now they're not he's not a better or worse instructor the guy that whose classes i'm taking but the vibe is right and the timing is right and that's what happens when you start doing the work if you if you want if you want to address something and you're willing to do that then the people will come and the challenge is not to question it to surrender yeah you know i i knew i knew at the end of last year that i wanted to do to to, to do to do jujitsu but i was also very conscious of it has to be the right place and the right people and i'm someone who i'll walk in the door and i know like i walk in the door of a gym or of a yoga studio or in this case um uh, a martial arts gym in east london and i know like okay this is it 
feels right. But it doesn't always come to your timetable, but it comes. That's good advice. Yeah, you know, and you the challenge is not to be you know, I there's times and I'm sure you're the same where where you become fucking impatient with the universe. Because you're like, okay, I've just stepped into that fear, but nothing's happened. You know, I, I've, I've told you about this. About a month ago, two, six weeks ago, I, for the first time, handled a conversation with a potential client the way my business coach wants me to. And it took a huge deep breath and a huge, okay, Fabes, you've got to trust this. And nothing has come of it yet, but there's a reason nothing has come of it yet. And my girlfriend has said it once, and I'm kind of rolling my eyes at it, even though I know it's true, which is the fact that he hasn't replied is not a no from the, from the universe or the bubble or whatever you want to call it. You've taken the step in. You've handled something differently, even if you were shaking in your boots as you did it. The step in ultimately gets rewarded, oh, yeah. even if it takes time to come. But everything will take time because we live in this time space yes. reality and with yes. manifestation, you know, you have to go, there's the process. And but we're raised with instant gratification. So the reaction is, for fuck's sake, universe, I just stepped in, I did that, I did what, you know, Chris, my business coach, asked me to do, even if I was worried about it and nervous and didn't do it to his exact script or whatever. I still took a step in and I'm not getting an answer, come on. You need patience. Patience. I was just about to say that, yeah. Yeah. And that's the, that's the other challenging bit, because as you've just said, people want instant results. How long, you know, the classic question a personal trainer gets, how long will it take me to lose this weight? How long is a piece of string? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... It's it's multifaceted. It's multi-layered. It's tiring. It's joyful. It's challenging. It's beautiful. It's all of it, and totally bloody worth it. Yeah, at time at times you question it. To be honest, I mean you've been there as oh, yes. well. There's times where you just like, as I say, for fuck's sake, universe, I've just taken this step, and now you're not giving me an answer, or the answer is going to look slightly differently than I thought it was. Very often. Yeah, but just because it looks different doesn't mean it's wrong. No. Yeah. But I think you know this is this is massive problem with this sort of uh, instant gratification society that we live in is that you know we're just we're not patient enough to be able to create the life of our dreams. We're too busy filling it with these instant gratifications, which have very little power or influence. Mm. We've but but we've been conditioned to it totally. You know, we've been conditioned to having all of the answers at our fingertips. You know, I, I go, I go back to the to the to the analogy from from my God, I'm old school days and university days. You know, when I was writing an essay in undergraduate level, at undergraduate level, I had to physically go to the library. I had to physically hunt for the books in the in the stacks. I had to pull the books out of the stacks. I had to read the books not just chapters, to get the answers. In other words, I actually had to think. Nowadays, Google. 
So th there's no part of the academic training or of the part of a decent training of a good education is learning to think and be patient. You know, when everything's at your fingertips, you don't need to be patient. No. But it's only through patience that we start to self-master. Yeah. And a little bit of discipline. Definitely. Yeah. I'm always getting told more discipline, <laughs> more discipline, boom. Yeah. It's a constant. Isn't mm. it? It's a constant thing in my life. <laughs> patience, discipline, perseverance. And a willingness to go, okay, I need to work on this. And to be okay with doing it slowly. You know, I didn't lose 12 stone in the year. A lot took me about 10 years. That's amazing. You know? Yeah. But it was chipping away at it a little bit at a time. Tortoise versus hare. Yeah, it's, inc it's an incredible transformation you've, I have, you, you've, you've gone through. I have another analogy which I love because it makes me laugh. So I've got two nieces. They're the same. They were born two weeks apart from two different sisters. Four years old now, three years old. If you put both of them in front of a swimming pool, one of them would sprint around the side and jump straight into the deep end. The other one would sit on the edge and she'd wait a couple of minutes until she was comfortable and then she'd walk a couple of feet in, and then she'd walk a couple of feet in. And the question I always ask is, are they both growing? Oh yes, of course. Yeah, one is growing more slowly than the other, but does it matter? As long as they get there in the end. Yeah. Life isn't a race. No. It's an experience. But again, we're led to believe it's a race. That's what that's what the, 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 the sort of over consumerist culture is. It's a race. Who dies with the most money or the most cars in the garage? And yet when you when you see there was a famous article, I'm sure you will have seen it, like late last year that was like I think it was the top five regrets of dying people. Yeah, I've read a there few was, of those. There was a, you know, so you'll get what I'm saying and you know, their regrets aren't I didn't make enough money. I didn't have enough Ferraris. I didn't have enough this. I didn't have enough that. That's what. That's not what de what people express regret for on their deathbed. On their deathbeds. What people express regret for on their deathbed is missing out on life experiences and on connection. Right. Surely there's something to be learned from that. I remember years ago having a conversation with a friend of mine and um, a friend of, you know, family friend much older than me, very successful businessman and um, I was just sort of starting off in my adult life and you kind of sort of look at him and think, you've got, you've got everything and he's like, I'm full of regrets, full of things I didn't do because I put work first mm -hmm. and now he said, I um, huge regrets. And at that point, I didn't kind of understand it because I was still like, yeah, but you, you've got an amazing house, you have an amazing lifestyle, mm -hmm. you have lots of money and you have mm -hmm. lots of fun, perceived fun. But now, nearly 41, I, I, I totally get it. 
one of the things my business coach loves to do when he's holding a presentation is he runs a weekend that's called the money mindset weekend where the topic is all about how to fix your money mindset because everybody somewhere has fucked up reality around money and he starts it with what is money and people put their hands up paper coins metal and he stops and he says well actually no money is just energy right and it has the energy that you apply to it so if you define money as power and as happiness then your life is going to be built up in the accumulation of it until the end when you suddenly go well shit i've got all this money but what else have i got that's not to say money is wrong look i i am you know i want to make a bloody good living what i do but i want to make a bloody good living by serving and have the have the earning come through changing the world like you not simply for money's sake mm. it has to be in service of something and when you get that shift then how you look at money changes then it doesn't just become about accumulation does that make sense that makes perfect sense because yeah. i've had to address my relationship with money um a lot and it's not easy it's not i'm still working on it you know one of the one of the one of the biggest conversations i have with my girlfriend about trauma is about how you know what i say to her is you need to understand i've had to teach myself everything i came out of childhood completely unequipped for life so everything you see about me i've built and worked on myself and that includes the money mindset it's not money is not evil money is not whatever money is an energy and money is a facilitator nothing wrong with making a good living it's what you do with it and how you look at it right no yeah i i i agree i've seen i've seen so many negative relationships with money be it you don't have enough money or you have too much money and um you know, I've had to address my my issues with money because for a long time I'd be like, "Oh, I'm not sure I'm worth that." Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, and and you know, you have, go through those sort of conversations, and millions of us do. Yeah, and you know, oh my God, if I if I up my rate from eighty five quid to ninety an hour, or from ninety an hour to a hundred an hour, like my business coach wants me to, am I shooting myself in the foot? Or if I, you know, in my case my business coach wants me to stop and he's right he wants me to stop offering single sessions to people oh my god if i stop doing that am i going to make money still am i going to you know he wants you to get them to do blogs yeah yeah you know am i am i if i if i talk to this potential new client about blocks of sessions and explain why am i going to scare off business or not because the instant gratification side of culture is, you know, you need, you need the money, you need the money. There's almost, an, there's almost a, a grasping aspect in society, right, rather than a flow. Yeah. And money very much needs to be in flow from my, from my experience. Mm. And, 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 you know, if you allow it to flow in, you allow it to flow out. Because when I've, I've noticed that when I've tried to sort of hold it, then it, it, it becomes stagnant mm. it doesn't grow or it starts to shrink whereas especially in the last couple of years 
I've sort of really changed my sort of way about money, and and then it, 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 it there just seems to be this this steady steady flow. Yeah. Of it just sort of it just sort of rolls, it rolls in. But that is requires a complete shift from what society tells us about money. You know, again, the conversation about worth. Am I worth? Am I worth it? Really? You know, I, I've written down this figure on my my creation inbox, my creation box on my computer that I've created after speaking to you. Really, I'm worth that amount of money. I'm worth having the money to live there or to do that. It, it, that requ that requires a quant that requires a shift in self worth and self confidence, right? It doesn't just come by a click of. No, it's it's it's, it's 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 a process because there's you know the ego will always create doubt. Oh, but you know, am I worth that amount mm. of money? You know, all this sort of jazz. And then you kind of go for the conversation. Yeah, but that person charges that per hour, mm -hmm. and this person charges that, and you know I'm happy to pay that for that. Mm. Or you get into the you get into the to the the most toxic process of all, which is comparison. Well, okay, he charges that per hour. So what makes him better than me? What do you mean, what do you mean better? Right. Well, it's interesting. So I was having this conversation with another client, and. Um, I very rarely do any sort of comparison. It's not. It's not a. It's not a. It's not a line of stories or, or <coughs> questions I usually create myself. I used to create lots of other things, but it would never be like, oh well, why are they better than me? Why am mm. Why am I less than? It'd just be like, okay, they're doing that. Well, that means I can do that. Mm. See, for me, that was a piece that was and is a piece of my developmental trauma. That yeah. I had a huge piece of the whole part of my life being told I was less than. Yeah, yeah, and, that, and that's that's that obviously adds in. That. So there, the comparison kicks in of yeah. okay, well, you know, that person is doing that. Well, am I on the same level, really? Also, it could be uh, having this other conversation with a client where we were talking about because he was the younger of the two siblings there was a natural comparison mm. and like for me you know I was my parents firstborn and then it was my brother and then my dad went on to have another another boy with his second wife and then uh, obviously we got a stepbrother from third and um, he sort of said yeah but you know you were always the oldest mm. so you you, you there's never been something to compare it to because you, you're the sort of yeah. number one. And I was like, oh God, you, I've never actually thought of it like that, but it makes a really good point and probably mm. does explain potentially why I haven't thought of it like that. It, it gets, you know, my, my, my situation is a little bit different in the sense that I am the only boy, but I wasn't the only boy. I had a brother who died when I was two and... I had somebody come up to me about three months after my dad died, a friend of his, and say, you know, it must, and actually said to me, it must have been really difficult for you. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, because you are the sole surviving son. So I had that my whole life. This is what you need to be. You're not good enough. This is what kids of 
other friends of mine are doing with their lives and here look at you doing this so for me this the the self-worth has and is continues to be a huge part of the work because part of my conditioning was well you're not good enough yeah that's just that, that's so challenging mm. it's so challenging you know especially for those developmental years and you know so many of my clients you know that is it's, 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 as we described them the mm. pillars that's it's mm. a big it's a big pillar mm. um, it's a powerful trauma point when you sort of spend your life feeling that you're unworthy and and, and you can you can have a moment of you can have a moment of healing but it doesn't click in for us so it takes time to filter through for example I have it must be now two and a half three weeks ago the first time I've ever had an acknowledgement from my mum when out of the blue she just said to me you know Fabian you're very different than your dad and I said what do you mean and she went on to explain how she now sees how different I am from him because my whole life it was you have to be like him and then you think about how do you compete with a man who was number three at one of the world's biggest banks seriously like you know if your dad is on the board of Credit Suisse heading up investment management globally for that bank. How do you compete with that? And it's not going to it's not going to be instant downfeed from getting those words from your mum finally at the age of forty four. Healing takes time, mm. and conditioning takes time to undo. Yeah, it's always a process. I, I, I've said this, had this conversation with lots of different clients over the years, and you know they're like, "Oh, I just wish I could just sort of click my fingers; it could all just go." Yeah. You're like, if that did happen, you would have a nervous breakdown. Yes, you would. You, it goes back to it goes back to what I said, what we were saying earlier, which is you cannot, you cannot realistically work on more than one thing at a time and focus. You can work on multiple things at a time and work on that one day and that one day and that one day and essentially tinker, which you in some ways have to do, but you can only give one thing at a time your full focus. Yeah. Right? This is the way it works. No, I agree. I agree. Well, let's hope that uh, 2020 continues to be a, a, an opportunity for us to continue yeah. healing and exploring yeah. and witnessing the unfolding of what, what's mm. uh, what's going to happen this year. Yeah. And it's going to be an interesting one, put it that way. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah I, 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 feel, I feel nicely optimistic about, about lots of different... Mm different aspects of my life mm. um, and just yeah I'm just looking forward to moving on and continue processing continue learning yep. continue helping people and you know hopefully early next year we can get the world moving again and you know moving it forward into a new future and get healing get start the healing yeah, because what an amazing world it will be when, when more of us have 
have fixed our shit, as I always say. Because mm. life just becomes so much better. I was saying this to my wife the other day. It's just like the benefits for me of doing what I've done for me personally. Mm -hmm. Just you know, it's just been such a huge change to my life. And yeah. You know, I'd do it all again. Oh god, yeah. I get. I got. I got asked a few months ago. You know, would I, would I want to be twenty one again? And I started laughing. I said, "Come on, twenty one. You know, if you knew what I looked like at twenty one, you know, doing doing the work has been, you know, challenging, difficult, painful. All of the words you want to choose, but it's also been bloody rewarding." Yeah. If I could go back to being twenty one with everything I know now, I'd take it. Mm. Yes, we have with all the information, yeah, having yeah. done all the work as I am now. If I could be twenty-one as I am now, yeah, yeah. But would I go back to twenty-one as it was? No, no. At <laughs> twenty-one years old, I was, I was, I was desperately insecure. Yeah, <laughs> so desperately insecure and just lived in fear and yes. just found life very, very challenging. I was so lost. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people are still very lost and that's okay mm -hmm. this is this is this is you know this it's it's part of it's part of this life it's part of this journey and i think you know the sooner you recognize that this life is a journey and the sooner you start on that journey then i'd argue the sooner you can really start enjoying life for what it really is instead yeah. of just feeling that you're some sort of powerless victim you know mm. The victim mindset, yeah, that's a tough one to break. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very powerful because it's linked to the ego and the ego has a huge amount of influence over the majority of people. Mm. That's why ego work is so important. But again, that's a challenging thing for a lot of people because it's a big activator, a big trigger. But maybe that's another podcast conversation. Because that's, that's a big topic. Yeah, victim victim mindset is. But you know, look to make it to make it brief. I can still remember the first time I said to myself out loud, "I'm not a victim. I'm a survivor." Because how you reframe what you are changes the perception. Some I can't remember who said it, but I heard a I heard a quote that said power is given control is taken and if you reframe how you see yourself then you reframe the whole conversation me calling myself a survivor versus calling myself a victim or if i say to you i'm a victim of child abuse from everybody who should have been you know the opposite and i'm a victim of developmental trauma it gives the abuse, it gives the trauma the power. If I say I'm, a, I'm the survivor of it, then even though it's challenging and teeth gritting and tear inducing and all of the other stuff, it still gives me the power. Such an important point. Though. Because it means I can say, you know, it means I can go into, to come back to it again, I can go into to a jujitsu class with somebody kneeling on top of me putting their hands on my chest and having the visceral reaction of what it was like to be physically restrained both at home and in school and i can take a deep breath and actively in my head say no and then do the move to get the person off me then i'm the survivor 
if I'm the victim I'm powerless mm. and that change of word shifts things and just shows the importance of reframing yeah you reframe it it changes mm. and that's a, I think you know just to wrap up I think that's a good that's a good way of describing you know having this ability to reframe mm. things that we experience puts yes. us in that position of power yeah as opposed to just being a victim, you know, this is happening to me as opposed to this is happening for me. Mm. That was one of my massive realizations this year after a very, very powerful bufo, for mm. a very powerful bufo experience. Yeah. Was, that was just like everything I've experienced in my life has been happening for me to allow me to grow. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm coming to the same point of view where I'm looking back at what I've been through and gone, going, you know, Jesus bloody hell has it been painful has it been you know all of the the teeth gritting walking through a storm all of the analogies you want but you know what if I hadn't gone through it I wouldn't be on the cusp of what I feel are great things coming yeah good things would always yeah. come when you yeah. when, when you start to invest some time in yourself and start having some honest conversations mm -hmm. with yourself about what holds you back um, and if you have the, and if yeah. you have the conversations the universe will give you the people to help you through it yeah I know a lot of people who would agree with you on that yeah yeah powerful stuff mm. well listen folks, totally we've been going for uh, nearly two and a half hours oh wow <laughs> So we'll wrap that up. To yeah, say we have time to, flies. To, to, to split it, to split it down, and all that editing, which drives me nuts. But listen, my friend, thanks for the honest You're conversation. Welcome. It's been it's been really Great. interesting, and I hope uh, I hope the listeners have enjoyed it. Um, and we will definitely have to check in in the next sort of six months mm. to see where you are as the work continues. As yeah. the work continues on this journey, because it is interesting and. Um, yeah, I've I've enjoyed I've enjoyed our time together over the last Absolutely. couple of years. Yeah, it's been good fun. But thank you very much, and uh, we'll speak soon. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for listening to the podcast, and I do hope you found it interesting and inspiring and enlightening and thought provoking. If you are interested in the healing retreats or the work that I do, just reach out, super friendly. You can do it for Instagram, which is just awesomeboone, or you can email me, which is just awesomeboone at awesomeboone.com. Super easy, I will reply to every single message and email I get. Sometimes it might take me a couple of days um, just due to the sheer volume of uh, amazing people who reach out and wanna have a chinwag. So do bear with me and I apologize in advance. Um, but I hope you guys have an amazing day. Uh, go forth, remember we are these limited beings of consciousness. We are having a temporary human experience and you are capable of achieving absolutely anything your heart desires. Yes, it takes a bit of work, it takes healing, it takes deprogramming away from the matrix and the bullshit which has been spread onto us as we've grown up um, but it is possible and um, you know you can make a huge huge difference to your life so if you found yourself in a bit of a rut you're not particularly happy you're not fulfilled you're a bit pissed off with your existence and you'd like to 
start to have a serious conversation about how you can improve your reality, then please do feel free to reach out. Uh, as I said, super friendly and very happy to talk to you guys about absolutely anything. So don't be shy. Anyway, big love from Boom.